Once again, I invite you to hear God's word, a Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. Uh, This evening, uh, I would like to uh, just take a little stroll through Psalm 46. Uh, This type of sermon is going to be uh, kind of verse by verse, and I'll make uh, some comments uh, along the way. Uh, in my research for this sermon, I, I did refer to uh, John Calvin's commentary, and he has a, quite a lengthy commentary on the book of Psalms. Uh, you could be very glad that for the sermon tonight, I'm just not reading his commentary on Psalm 46. I mean, we, we would be here a while. Uh, but it, of course, it's, it's very good, and I, I chose a, a nice quote to insert uh, later on in the, in the psalm. Well, the psalm begins with a, a subtitle. Uh, we often ignore this, and it's not like this adds great meaning to the psalm, but, but I took a look at it. Uh, for the director of music of the Sons of Korah, according to Alameth, a song. I guess the question is, this word Alameth, I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly, uh, what does this mean? And, uh, well, we don't know. Uh, we think it's a, a musical term. And uh, the best guess, believe it or not, is uh, it's indicating a woman's choir. Or maybe uh, musical instruments set to a high pitch. Or maybe it is instruments played by virgins. We don't know. But uh, it did indicate something uh, about this psalm and, and how it was uh, performed. Uh, As we look at this psalm this evening, uh, I want us to uh, think about trust in God's power and presence leads us 
to peace and hope. Trust in God's power and presence leads us to peace and hope. Uh, We often don't think about the order of the Psalms, but at some point there were Jewish editors that put the Psalms together into the book of Psalms. And uh, we don't know all of what they were thinking, uh, but as you look at the book of Psalms, you do see that Psalms 46, 47, and 48 all have this, this similar theme of trusting in God's power and presence in a chaotic world. So Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I think that one of the most profound questions that we ask ourselves, everyone in this room, we ask ourselves kind of subconsciously, uh, is, am I loved and am I safe? Uh, Sometimes we hear stories about people that have grown up profoundly unloved and in a state of constant threat. And uh, we we know that this type of upbringing uh, does profound damage deep within the human soul uh, because this is one of the greatest needs that we have growing up and even into adulthood. Am I loved? Do I belong? And am I safe? And here in verse 1, the answer is is loud and clear. That God is a refuge for his people. He cares for them. He is their strength. And in a world that often seems out of control, God is the rock on whom we can trust. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Verses 2 and 3, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. These are words of, of God's judgment on the world. The prophets often call this the day of the Lord. And the psalmist uses, well, violent water to describe this this day of of judgment. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment, but also a day of salvation. And so we, we think about destructive water, the water surging. And for you and I, we perhaps think of flooding uh, recently in Colorado. Uh, Think of Hurricane Sandy, the tsunami that hit the coast of Japan and farther back the tsunami in Indonesia, and and we saw pictures of such massive destruction with the power of water. That's kind of the image that's going on in in the psalm here. And this psalm kind of presents a a a worst-case scenario. Even with this type of destruction with water, Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength. No matter what natural disaster happens, there is still hope, and we can trust in God's power and his providence. 
Verses 4 and 5, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Very poetically, the, the psalmist speaks of water as destruction. And then in the next breath, water is an image of healing and of blessing. Water used both ways. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The city of God, Jerusalem. And as we look back at this psalm and also read the New Testament and look forward to the future, we also think of, of the city of God, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem as well. River is a a symbol of blessing, that God is with his people, that he will provide for his people, and that God's plan is to restore life the way he originally created it to be. This is something that we hope for. We have a problem, though. The city of God and the river. Well, Jerusalem didn't have a river. Jerusalem had a spring, Gihon Spring. I guess the Jordan River was 16 miles away, but that was a few thousand feet lower and kind of parallel with Jerusalem. It was just a salty, disgusting river at that point. So Jerusalem didn't have a river. But as we read the Bible, we we see this image of river uh, time and time again. And in fact, river is in Genesis And river as blessing is in Revelation as well. And I I thought this was interesting. I want to share this with you. So in in Genesis chapter 2, part of the creation account, uh, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, where he put the man and he formed, where he formed the man. So that's verse 8. Now, uh, sometimes when I'm teaching if you are one of my students, you will know that sometimes um, I do a little tangent. You know, do, do we do this as teachers? Well, you never do that, okay? Well, sometimes they do a little, a little tangent. I'm going to do that right now, okay? But it, it all, it'll tie back in here. So uh, you know the Bible, very symbolic with numbers, 3 and 7 and 40, you know? And uh, I was curious what, you know, the 40th verse of the Bible was. Now, the verses aren't inspired. I'm, you know, those were added in the Middle Ages. But still, you know, the 40th verse of the Bible. You know what the 40th verse of the Bible is? I might have even shared this with you because I think this is pretty cool. Have I shared this with you before? No? Oh, so this is new. Good, good. 40th verse of the Bible. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So uh, that's the only thing in God's creation, at least in Genesis 1 and, 1 and 2, that are called pleasing to the eye. Everything else was called good, trees pleasing to the eye. I am not an odd person for liking trees. All right. But anyway, now, now we get back. It's, it's part. It's all part of this. Okay, so God plants a garden, puts Adam and Eve in this garden in Eden, Okay, and 
creates trees, but the reason why trees are here, because it refers to a couple trees, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it was separated into four headwaters. This garden, uh, in this garden, there was this river flowing through it that helped bring life. In the book of Revelation, what does it say about the new Jerusalem? Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, the new Jerusalem down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. The tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Water as healing, water as life. And uh, what a richness uh, is added to this psalm for us that we can refer to the book of Revelation as well and to get this image of the city and the river. Uh, Verses 4 and 5 also say God will help her at break of day. Uh, Very often, if a battle was going to happen in Old Testament times. The battle would happen at break of day. And so if war was anticipated, break of day was a tense time. You didn't exactly know what was going to happen. In the stress and distress of life, God is with us. We can trust in his power and his presence. Verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. Verses 2 and 3 allude to uh, natural disaster. And then we have here in verse 6, political problems, wars, things that are are man-made. And uh, it makes us think about our world, uh, the, the awful war in Syria, uh, tension with countries such as North Korea and Iran. Uh, just this weekend, the terrorist attack in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, our world is filled with, with much evil and often seeming out of control uh, countries that cause us great concern. God is in control. And as I read verse 6, I am reminded that we should never, ever let the news shake our faith. It can bring us down. Wow, why is this happening? But the news should never, ever shake our faith for we can trust in God's power and his providence. We come to verse 7. Verse 7 is 
the refrain, the chorus of the psalm. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is repeated twice in this psalm. One way to look at the organization of this psalm is three verses, three verses, the chorus, three more verses, and the chorus. It's kind of how it is, is organized. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, the general God whose power is over all armies on planet Earth. I suppose if, if you need a friend in a threatening world, you want the one most powerful. So the psalmist says, the Lord Almighty is with us. But also, it is said, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God appeared to them. God spoke to them. God Almighty, the, the general God, made a covenant. He said, I know you by name, and I am going to bless you, and I have a plan for you. So here in the chorus, we have the mighty, sovereign God, and we also have the close God who comes and makes covenant with people and gives them hope. I was reading about Jacob recently in, in my personal devotions, and at one point, as you'll recall, in Jacob's life, uh, things were particularly tense. Uh, he deceived his dad and his brother, and Esau let it be known in camp that given the right time and occasion, he was going to kill Jacob. And so in a very stressful time, he says goodbye to his father Isaac and his beloved mother Rebekah, and he sets out on his own on a very long journey to his mother's family. He, he is alone. He is running scared. He doesn't have much, and he does not know what the future will hold. And on that trip, God met with him in a dream, with a stairway to heaven and angels going up and down. And God said, I am with you, Jacob. I am the covenant God, and I have a plan for you. I suppose that after Jacob woke from that dream, he might have thought, God is my fortress, and God is your fortress as well. Verses 8 and 9, Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. People of God, remember what God has done and trust what he will do in the future. Present strength often is recalling God's past faithfulness and just settling it in your heart that I will trust in God in the future. Think about the promised land. I was just going over this with my, my seventh graders this week. Uh, if you think about the promised land, let's say my hand here will go like this. This is the promised land. And right down here is Africa. Europe wraps around this way, and over here is Asia. In ancient times, what was the only land bridge between Europe, Asia, and Africa? 
It was right through a small sliver of land on the Mediterranean coast, the promised land, Canaan, the land of Israel. God put his people smack dab in the middle of the ancient crossroads of the major tra trade routes. There they were. So foreigners were traveling through all the time. Another way to think about it is whoever controlled that little piece of real estate, well, they had power. They had money. And, he, and here's this little, this little nation of Israel stuck in there. Their land was under constant threat of war. I would think, I would suppose, that on the face of the earth, the most fought over square feet on the planet is the nation of Israel. And we know that still to this day, they're fighting still in the land of Israel. The borders are still in flux in the land of Israel. So it is very important for the Israelites to, to really get, to get it, that, that God is more powerful than any armies that surround them. I mean, these words to them were words of literal life. And they're also uh, words of peace because God's ultimate plan ultimately is a plan for peace. And this is something that we should live with within our hearts as well. Even though the peace isn't present, we have our hope that God's ultimate plan is a plan for peace. Now, uh, to our esteemed brother, uh, John Calvin, who has gone before us, uh, when he uh, uh, looks at this psalm, he basically looks at the whole psalm in light of the church. Uh, he interprets the psalm in light of the church. He sees the psalm written to the people of God, the Israelites, and now today the people of God is the church. And so that's, that's kind of how... Uh, the flavor that he gives to his commentary and interpretation in the psalm. And so he says, in conclusion, he repeats, meaning the psalmist repeats, in conclusion, the psalmist repeats what he has already said, that God has more than enough, both weapons and of strength, to preserve and to defend his church, which he has adopted. God has the strength, more than enough strength, to defend and preserve his church. And so today, perhaps you read uh, a story of Christian persecution which actually made national headlines. Very often the persecuted church is buried a bit in the news. Uh, today, national headlines. A church of 600 in Pakistan as they finish their service today, a suicide bomber uh, explodes and 80, near 80 people died in the blast and many more injured. Um, you and I, we can't fathom that. I just don't get that. I can't understand how that could be or even it happening. But you think these, these are our brothers and sisters in the faith and and you and I, are, we are no more important than they are. It just happens that, that we live here. We don't live there. The 
church is shaken. The church needs support, and they need to hear these words of hope that God will defend and preserve his church in this world. Samuel Lamb was a giant in the house church movement in China. And he passed away at the age of 88 just this past August. Every Sunday after the church service, Samuel Lamb would invite foreign guests to his office and immediately to begin and begin began to tell them the story of his life. And every time he talked to them, every Sunday, whoever it was, he explained one holy principle. And the Chinese church knows this. More persecution, more growth. More persecution, more growth. We cannot explain the ways of God and the events of this world, but we know that God is watching over and preserving and growing his church. And then lastly, verses 10 and 11. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I will not repeat the sermon this morning, but I want us to think, who is God to us in our daily lives? Not just the Sunday school answer, but as we live each day, what does it mean to us that Almighty God is present and that we trust in his providence. I will tell you, this is, this is no joke. In August, my wife and I got into a little vehicle altercation. Okay, an accident. Uh, we were fine. And uh, my initial flash when it happened was frustration. But then, honestly, I will tell you, I thought to myself, I thank you, Lord, that my wife and I are fine. This is just a piece of metal, and I will trust in God in this situation. And uh, there was a sense of peace to that in a time that does naturally get us bothered inside. Um, how is God calling you to trust, simply trust in his providence in your daily life? Remember eternity. Remember the church. Like this morning, because we are believers in Jesus, because we have received God's grace through Jesus' shed blood, his death and resurrection, like this morning, I'd like to close with a New Testament Bible passage. Um, when I thought of Psalm 46, the whole psalm, this is the passage that I was drawn to in the New Testament, and with this I close. Uh, Romans 8, 28 to 32. And we know that in all things, God works for the good, for those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things?